Today, I am having a candid conversation with my friend, Rebecca Ratliff, about the crabs in the barrel syndrome. Crabs in a barrel is a topic that African-Americans talk about all the time. However, in our conversations, have we ever talked about how to address this issue to make sure that we as individuals don't become the crab that all of us despise? Welcome to the Empowerment Zone with Ramona Houston, where we zone in on black and brown relations and our journey to empowering our communities. According to Rebecca, all of us must be conscientious and intentional about destroying this destructive behavior that harms so many people and replacing it with practices that actually uplift others. Rebecca is an international mediator and arbitrator with the Judicial Arbitration and Mediation Service, also called JAMS. And she's also the first African-American non-lawyer ever to be invited to be on the JAMS panel of neutrals. Enjoy our conversation and see show notes for more information about the um, about Rebecca. As always, please subscribe to the Empowerment Zone podcast and give us a rating on Apple Podcast. Your support will ensure that we continue our journey in empowerment and impact. Thank you. Today, we're going to talk about a very uh, important personal topic, and um, we all know the necessity of having people who support our work. But it's also important that we know how to handle or manage people who don't support us. Uh, And so today we're going to cover what we call crabs in a basket. And uh, we have our guest today is Rebecca Ratliff, who is all over the place. I mean, she is one of those dynamic women, and I'm looking forward to hearing her perspective on managing people who are opposed to uh, opposed to you. I know in no matter what leadership position you have or what organization you're in, um, you're all about making an impact, but not everybody is on your team. And so we as leaders, we as people who are about empowerment and impact need to know uh, how to manage those, the people who uh, oppo- oppose us in a very personal way, not professionally, because professionally, it's okay to have different ideas and different perspectives. You know, that's what makes us great is when we're able to bring different people and different ideas into the conversation and come up with a goal that is beneficial to all. But it is something else when people are very personal about how they oppose you. So welcome to the Empowerment Zone, Rebecca. I've been trying to get Rebecca on the show for I don't know how long. And so I am excited about having her here today. How are you doing? Thank you. I'm good, sis. Thank you so much. You know, I just respect the work that you do so much. And um, I'm really, really pleased and honored to be with you today. Thanks for having me. 
Well, I am so surprised about the topic that you chose, uh, crabs <laughs> in the barrel. Because I was thinking, I was thinking all these things you could, uh, you know, talk about. Knowing me the way you do. <laughs> yeah, international affairs, you know, HBCU impact. I just thought you were going to cover one of those professional topics. But this is a topic we haven't covered on the Empowerment Zone. So I'm glad to have you. Thank you. Thank you. Glad to be here. I'll cover all that stuff. It's all relevant. <laughs> well, that sounds good that sounds good and you know I, I must say the invitation is open so if you want to come back and just talk about each one of those topics in a separate setting you know I'm open to that as well it would be great to have you back because you have such a dynamic impact on our community and our world Thank so you. can you tell me a little bit about your background and you know what 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 is your professional personal and professional journey thank you for that so i describe myself as a little girl from maywood illinois which is uh, a western suburb of chicago and my parents um my dad was a pastor and my mom was a nurse so i come from a background of service um and and the demonstration of love there's a song love is something you do mm -hmm. and um showing showing love and respect and you know a display of service to um to our our fellow human beings is something that you do um and and so I was I was raised in that environment and in that reality and um went to uh the University of Illinois got my psychology degree uh University of Illinois at Urbana and actually fell into the insurance industry. Um, I have a psych degree and most people in the insurance industry will tell you that it happened by accident. Uh, now we're being a little more intentional. I'm in the industry or industry adjacent now, um, 32 years. And um, I, I had a very robust career as a commercial claims professional in insurance. Um, started out at CNA Insurance uh, and then just went through in the last 10 years was with Chubb, which is the second largest insurance entity in the world. Um, and I reinvented myself. I um, In 2016, I left Chubb. Chubb had been acquired and um, things were starting to change. So I uh, started my own mediation, arbitration and consulting firm. And it was because a mentor of mine said, you are working beneath your skill sets. Uh, you're doing great work as a claims professional going to mediations. I handled cases um, in a variety of subject matter areas all over the United States, almost all 50 states and internationally, uh, I handled claims. So those are claims loss matters is when something finally happens. You pay your premium and I'm a liability uh, claims professional. So um, all over the world, when accidents or something happen, it could be uh, again, a variety of subject matter areas, medical malpractice or commercial premises liability, which might be a slip and fall, something as simple as a slip and fall, which uh, ends in catastrophic injury, or it could be a shooting. Um, so I handled uh, municipal cases, nursing home cases, uh, products, auto and trucking. Um, I, I think I said med medical malpractice. Doctors do um, actually leave instruments um, in, in or foreign objects in people. They don't mean to, but it happens. Uh, and uh, so I've seen just about anything liability, uh, again, uh, including municipal liability. I've handled also some real estate cases. So I have a really nice bucket of uh, expertise in subject matters. And that is what enables me to preside over these cases in mediation and arbitration now. 
I am a civil uh, and domestic mediator and arbitrator. Uh, domestic means family, uh, but I I prefer the civil cases, which is more related to the insurance work that I did. That's um, uh, civil cases, not criminal. And uh, it's when something happens, I was the investigator, evaluator, negotiator. That's the simplest way to describe what a claims professional does. Uh, and I did that for 25 years and I really enjoyed it. And then my mentor said I was working beneath my skill sets. And so I uh, once that acquisition happened, I left uh, and I, I left that career and I started my own company. And I will tell you, I think it's important to say I pulled money out of my 401k to start that business. And the reason I'm willing to share that, Ramona, is that a lot of people are afraid to take that leap. It was a leap of faith. I just believed that I was being guided uh, to to do more. And I, I got to tell you, I left with no fear. I haven't felt any fear since I left. And I'll admit to you that I have, um, obviously, challenges. It's been really hard. And everybody talks about how uh, I make it look easy. Well, it hasn't been easy. Uh, I'm a Black woman, non-lawyer, arbitrator, and mediator. An arbitrator is a private judge. So I have the authority. I have federal and state authority. I have the authority of a magistrate judge as an arbitrator. And I'll also mention I'm a law professor at Howard. I created insurance curriculum at Howard University School of Law. So I'm a Black woman, non-lawyer working in a legal space. And um, for me, you know, some people are saying, you know, how, how, how do you do that? I just stay in my lane. I know what my expertise is. I stick to that. Um, me not being a lawyer is actually my secret sauce. Um, it was initially my obstacle uh, because people see mediators and arbitrators presiding over this dispute resolution. So presiding over these hearings, um, a lot of people think you have to be a lawyer to do that. You don't. Um, but I got my subject matter expertise from, you know, a 25 plus year in, in uh, insurance as a, as a claims professional. So I understand evaluation, negotiation and settlement from the perspective of the payer the insurance company. So that's very uh, empowering to me. Um, but so that's, you know, generally that's that's my professional career. So I'm an international mediator and arbitrator with JAMS, um, Judicial Arbitration Mediation Service. And I um, enjoy uh, a healthy, uh, again, experience being able to travel and, and do my work all over the country. And I just came back from London uh, building a practice over there. Wow. Um, it, it's always interesting to me to see people's um, individual journeys and trajectories into the work that they do. And, you know, all of our experiences add up, right, to make us Absolutely. who we are and uniquely who we are. And like you stated, a lot of people look at um, different aspects of ourselves as a handicap when actually it can be very much an opportunity and, and, and very much empowering. Like you said, you weren't a lawyer, but yes. your experience and not being a lawyer is your secret sauce. Yes. Yeah. And you and I met because of a program I was doing for the American Bar Association. You were kind enough to grace us um, with, you know, being the you were the opener for a program that Ben Crump was on, my friend Ben Crump. Um, and it, that was a very powerful program at a time when America and especially the black community was in pain. 
Um, so thank you for all the contributions that you make in, in this space. Thank you very much. So let's talk about this topic you chose. I'm really curious. How did you <laughs> even come to the, the determining that you wanted to talk about crabs in a basket? That's one. And then secondly, let's begin. Let's let's make this first. How do you define crabs in a basket? That's easy. Okay, so, you know, we grow up and we hear a lot of these sayings and um, analogies and don't always, can't always picture what it means, like in the context that it's given, we understand that it probably means holding somebody back um, or, you know, but I'll tell you, I went on YouTube and I looked up crabs in a barrel or crabs in a basket. And I saw that they actually do uh, pull each other down <laughs> once, you know, there's like, so there's all these crabs in this basket and they, you know, there's this one really ambitious <laughs> that starts climbing and gets all the way to the to the top to the rim of the basket about to get out and the other crabs pull that one back down but i had to see it in action <laughs> i just couldn't believe that actually does happen but we know that animals are very intelligent we know uh, you know we can see what dolphins can do and dogs and you know so you know what they can learn and the, and so it's it's obviously um, I don't, well, I, I was going to say, obviously, a learned behavior. I don't know if it's learned or if it's innate in crabs, but that's what they do. And it is one of the things that makes me um, most, I was going to say most embarrassed, but it's, um, it makes me sad about our magnificent culture, all the talent that we have, we could be so much further ahead economically. Now, I, know, I know that we have been intentionally left behind economically. Um, and we can talk about that a little bit too. But um, there are things that we can do in our community to support one another. I'm really proud of the new Black Wall Street here in Atlanta. Um, but it, there's so much more that we can do to elevate and amplify the work and the, the messages in our community. And so many times it doesn't happen because either we're afraid that they'll think we're in cahoots. And I say, absolutely, we're in cahoots. If there's somebody credible, <laughs> yeah, I'm in cahoots with my brother and sister. And let me say this too, because I know, I'm sure in your research, um, you 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 know, race is a social construct. There's there's no such thing as race. Race is, there's the human race, and then there's their cultures. And you can probably define it better than I can because of, of your work and your knowledge and history. But, uh, we tend to, you know, have, because race is a social construct and we're kept behind and left behind, um, we are, we move the needle forward by, uh, while other people are moving up is actually a quote that I recently got from a colleague. Um, so I'll, I'll give Eugene Mitchell his, <laughs> his, his um, I don't know if that's in his book and I don't want to plagiarize his point. So I'll, I'll give him the credit for it. But uh, we tend to focus on the wrong things it's we, we we are so intelligent and talented we taught white people how to do business we were the blacksmiths we built these the cities we the world was built on the backs of black people black and brown people but we have forgotten who we are and i think um that there's jealousy i think there's the the trauma from slavery where we were pitted against one another, the lights get, you know, the blue vein society and all those um, 
those mechanisms that were in place to keep us separated from one another emotionally and psychologically. Um, there's that, again, there's the fear of how we'll be perceived if we're helping black people. Um, and, and of course, around the world, the, the black and brown experience is different depending on what culture you're in. So there, all of those things, I think, have come together to keep us apart. And um, we have to be deliberate. We, we're talking a lot about DEI, you know, diversity, equity, inclusion, and allyship, but we're throwing these terms around. And one of the things that I've been published to say is ally is a noun in the dictionary. But in this context, it's a verb. Ally is a verb. Again, love is something you do. Mm -hmm. Jesus died for us because he loved us. He did something. Um, it wasn't, I, you know, walk, walking around saying, I love you. We say a lot of things, we call each other brothers and sisters, but we don't act like brothers and sisters. And that is harmful to our next generations, which I know we'll talk about as well. But again, that's why I just can't tell you how proud I am of the relationship that you and I have, because we are always looking for opportunities to amplify each other, to, to our messages, to elevate one another. If I see an opportunity, I'm I'm looking in my Rolodex, which we don't say anymore, um, of I, my choice is always black or brown people first. Um, you know, we and we want, you know, when we use each other's services, we want those brothers and sisters, I'll say it, <laughs> our brothers and sisters, we want them to be, um, I'll use, I'll say qualified, although I think qualified is code because that's how they kind of keep us out of stuff. But, but, you know, we want them to do good work. We don't want to put our names, you know, behind people who are not going to show up. Mm -hmm. um, but at the same time, we have to understand that our counterparts get elevated and promoted um, based on potential while for us it's performance mm -hmm. and we have to we have to combat that from the inside man you covered so much uh I don't even know where to start um <laughs> I, you know <clears throat> a lot of I'm going to talk about you saying you consciously make an effort to support um African Americans in you know providing them opportunities, right? Yes. Some people would consider that biased, right? Because yep. you are consciously making that effort, whereas we know about conscious and unconscious bias where um, white folks in particular make that decision and disqualify uh, people of color for opportunities because like you said it's based on experience and not necessarily potential so how do you what is your argument how do you support your um, desire or your intentionality about supporting uh, African Americans and providing opportunities for them in various spaces that you are in that's easy, unapologetically. And the reason um, that I can explain this is because I sit in a seat of a person in an underutilized community, um, a Black female non-lawyer. So, you know, the point that I was <clears throat> making previously, <clears throat> excuse me, was that, of course, we want to make sure that the people with, that we push forward can do the job. So we want to 
to consider people who are a solution to a business need first mm -hmm. and foremost. They got to be able to do what it is we're putting them forward to do, but they also need to be from underutilized communities. Mm -hmm. So I, I, okay, so let me say this too. It is a very conscious bias. Yep, there's unconscious bias and there's conscious bias, which people aren't talking about because they don't want to admit to it. So let me explain how I get around that. I am biased towards people who are qualified to do the work, ready and able, and are and come from underutilized communities. We know if we check the statistics that we are in a very, very small percentages, our professionals, our doctors, our lawyers, our, um, our entrepreneurs are in very small percentages uh, doing the work that they do compared to our white counterparts, especially white male counterparts. And that is documented. So that's not something I have to defend. The great Cornell West, Dr. Cornell West at Harvard, uh, talks about, you know, the, the, I, I don't know if he puts it in the context of, you know, people arguing reverse racism, but I'll just pretty much share his um, his his view. Um, when when people, I see it as people alleging reverse racism, Black people can't be racist. And the reason is you have to have, according to Dr. West, prejudice, which we all have against something. It could be tattoos or, you know, men with earrings or whatever prejudice plus power plus privilege black people don't have all that so i can promote people from underutilized communities who are a solution to a business need unapologetically i don't apologize for putting my people forward that i know can do the work um nobody accuses white people of <laughs> helping white people <laughs> when they put when they put their colleagues forward so that's how I, that's that's the conversation I'm willing to have. And because I'm a dispute resolution professional um, with a psychology degree and a risk management professional of over three decades, I can make that argument very well. Because when I started in my career, um, there was barely anybody that looked like me because a claims professional is the person with the company pocketbook. So there were very, very few Rebecca Ratliffs and there still are. Mm -hmm. Thank you for that explanation. Uh, that's how people end up misinterpreting what affirmative action is about. That's it's right. It's not just getting people of color in the space. These people are well qualified, ready and able, as you stated, yep. but are not getting the opportunities. And you're consciously saying, I want to create opportunities for African-Americans and other people of color in order that they can uh, be in these spaces. It's, it's That's right. not be in these spaces if the doors are closed and there's no one advocating for you. That's it. And uh, affirmative action. So given the new Supreme Court decision, there's a lot evolving and people are still trying to figure out what it means. And by no means am I an affirmative action guru, but I will say this, affirmative action was always remedial. It was designed to make up for the gaps. Uh, yeah, again, equitable inclusion. That's what affirmative action was about. Mm -hmm. And so as, as this topic is evolving, I am having a lot of conversations um, around, I mean, I'm a law school professor at Howard, uh, uh, you know, so, you know, there are a lot of conversations about how it will affect the education world and the employment world. And again, those analyses are still evolving. So I won't even like go into that, but um, but it was always remedial for the reasons that you've been, that you've given and, and that we've stated here. We uh, typically are left out 
uh, and not equitably included in opportunities. There's one of the things I say is diversity, um, just to try to break it down for people who are trying to understand why we are making, why it's a movement. Diversity is the recipe. Inclusion is adding ingredients to enhance the flavor. Mm-hmm. Equity is the veggie option. Mm-hmm. And belonging is inviting people to eat. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, you know, what it, whatever it is. So it, it's, you know, p- allowing people not just to be in the room, but to be at the table and actually to eat. Um, it, that's what DEI and now belonging is 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 all about. And that's a, that is a direct quote from me. I have published that several times um, now, but it, it's, um, you know, people want to know why we're fighting so hard for the same rights and equitable inclusion that other, you know, sectors are getting mm-hmm. without having to fight for it. I mean, it's just so basic, really. So it, it's, you know, there is, uh, I see the book cast behind you on your bookshelf. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I mean, we are still dealing with class and caste system. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I love uh, that analogy that you made. It's very simplistic and visual where people can understand it versus these long definitions that we have about DEI and mm-hmm. B. Um, one thing I do want to mention, you talked about Dr. Cornell West's um, uh, definition of um, racism, and it's actually from Francis Chris Welsing. He's quoted oh, was he quoting her. somebody? Yes, it's called. That's good to know. Yes, it's called the Crest theory, and actually, uh, Francis Chris Welsing, I believe, was a professor at Howard University. So you might want to check that out. Yeah, yes, her theory, the Crest theory. Thank you. I'm talking about that, her whole uh, theory is that. <clears throat> people of color cannot be racist. We can be prejudiced, we can be bigoted, but we cannot be racist because we don't have the power and and control over the systems. That's right. So so in our last few minutes, um, I'd really like to focus on solutions. Okay, you've you've defined the problem very well in terms of the crabs in the basket and what you mean by that. So what can we do consciously and intentionally as African-Americans and Latino Americans and people around the world for that matter, to make sure that we are not labeled as one of those crabs that are pulling <laughs> other people down? So that's one is how, how can we address others, right? But how mm-hmm. can we also, let's start with that. How can we make sure we're not the crab that's pulling mm-hmm. other people down? But then when we approach those crabs, how do, how do we um, address them or manage them? So those are two questions about from opposite sides of the spectrum in terms of being crabs in the basket. Okay, so how can we not be crabs? Mm-hmm. Um, is I would say, you know, some people are not actively... <laughs> doing the pulling, but sometimes you're part of the base (laughs) that they're climbing on to pull, Mm -hmm. to pull others down. Mm -hmm. So I will say silence is complicit. Mm -hmm. Um, Some people, there's a saying, if you, if you don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I obviously, I have, I teach personality styles um, because as a negotiator and as a person who facilitates negotiations, it's important for me to understand what I'm looking at in a room when people come before me I need to know what their motivations are. But I will tell you, 
being silent and doing nothing, uh, everybody is not going to have a podcast. Everybody is not going to go outside and march. I understand that. Can you give $5 to the effort? Is there something you can do in a movement mm -hmm. to show solidarity? Is there something you can do other mm -hmm. than sitting in the dark at home and being quiet, feeling like, well, it's not effectively direct, you know, it's not directly affecting me because one day it will. Mm -hmm. um, we can see now that things are being, our rights are being dialed back. And it's just one thing, it's going to be one thing after another if we don't stand up. And, uh, you know, we hear people say, and I have to say this, and I know sometimes my opinions are, can be unpopular, but I'm willing to say it. And it's not because I think I'm right. My goal is not to be right. My goal is to be heard. And if, you know, people are processing what I say and it causes them to think, then that's what I want. So um, we, uh, you know, again, we'll, we'll say, I almost lost my thought. We'll, you know, we'll say, you know, it, it doesn't affect me. Uh, but as Dr. I actually did lose my thought. Um, but Dr. King says, uh, and I'm I'm sure this isn't a, a direct wording, but um, you know, injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. That's, That's the quote. <laughs> That's the quote. Okay, so you know we have to. Oh, I know what it was. Sometimes we're talking to people even about voting, and people are complacent or whatever it is. I don't claim to always know where people are coming from when they. I have certain philosophies or say certain things. So I'll, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll relinquish uh, my, my need to know, but people say, well, at least, and I'm like, ah, when we start with that as a sentence, that means that we're settling for the minimum, whatever. Mm -hmm. I hate to hear people start out by saying, well, at least, and I'm like, ah, mm -hmm. that's you letting yourself off the hook. Mm -hmm. We, we have to, our next generation, we've been through this, this COVID, um, pandemic which is now endemic uh it was you know so a pandemic i had to look up the word pandemic if i hear something i didn't know I'm, and we've had them before but i never you know never had my attention like covid did it's an epidemic that happens all over the world that's why it's a pandemic and um now it's endemic which means it's like the flu they're telling us again i'm not a medical professional but i'm going by what i've heard from some very credible sources um so it's in our society now like the flu and the boosters will continue coming because of the different strains. Um, so, you know, we, so we settle, you know, when we're, you know, we, we have all gone, the human condition has changed forever. We are all, and I'm, I'm in front of the human condition all the time as a mediator. That's I'm seeing people in their human condition. And, you know, my, my, my message, I guess, is to, you know, for us to be willing to stand up and speak up to be safe, but not to be silent. Mm -hmm. Because again, silence is complicit. So how not to be a crab? Because you, again, you might not be a pulling crab, but you can still be a crab. And then the, go ahead. The second part. No, no, no. Question, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, okay. So the second part of your question was what we can do, mm -hmm. actively do, is I think it's kind of in the same message. Do something. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Do something to help others. Do something to help others. Do something to manage. And you know, I have I'm the founder of HBCU Impact. Um, Impact stands for Insurance Mentoring Program, Advanced Career Track. So specifically in the insurance risk management, financial services, and legal space, I'm actively um, along with um, with other colleagues in the industry going after students at historically black colleges and universities to attract them to the insurance risk management, you know, and financial fields and law. 
you know, because there are so many insurance is the field is the is the industry that was hiring people during the COVID pandemic. Mm -hmm. Insurance is the global recession proof staple that supports everything that moves. That's a quote from me. Um, it is insurance isn't going anywhere. Everything personally, professionally, insurance touches everything. So there are career opportunities for students coming out of college and for people in, in, you know, in the middle of their career or looking for career change, there are opportunities in the insurance and risk management industry. So I am actively running a nonprofit where we have programming that is now actually going, we're going global. Um, we have programming that is um, designed to share internship opportunities and employment opportunities for, for black and brown students so that they can be in this industry that touches absolutely everything. Um, so yeah, we're relevant and, to everything. Yeah, I, I like that example of, hey, I figured out how I can be of service in my space. And that's, that's right. H HBCU impact. So the second part of that question is, mm -hmm. what do you do when you experience uh, a crab? What, 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 how do we manage crabs as, as the, professional <laughs> and in our own, you know, personal lives? So that's a two-part question in and of itself. Because in my personal life, I talk to people differently than I do in my professional life. Correct. Yep, yep, yeah. yep. In both worlds, I don't have to be right. It's not about me being right. It's, it comes, you know, everything that we say, think about how we behave comes from perspectives and, in, you know, our, you know, our, our experience on the inside. You can't unsee and unhear experiences. So I respect that people have um, their opinion. So I've had some, some one time somebody said to me, well, I mean, I, that's that's your opinion. And I have my opinion. You have to respect my opinion. And I said, no, I have to respect your right to have an opinion. I don't have to respect your opinion. And and I'm very obviously intentional with words because I'm a mediator. And, and it's important that my messaging be very, very accurate and very specific so people understand what I'm saying. And I have to listen very well to make sure what is said is what is being heard. So I'm 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 a very specific communicator which can be very frustrating to people and I'm sure they think that I'm trying to be right. I'm not trying to be right. So um in my personal life the way I have that conversation is you know I ask them to think about what they're saying. I may like because I'm in a hopefully in a safe space in a relationship, I can maybe try to break down, try to analyze what they're saying, try to drill down is maybe a better way to say it than break down. Um, but you can't say, Ramona, professionally or personally, you can't say the right thing to the wrong person and you can't say the wrong thing to the right person. So first of all, I'm aware <clears throat> at all times of who I'm talking to, uh, you know, and, and whether they can even receive a conversation from me, because I, I feel like if we're going to have the conversation, let's have the conversation. And I'm not, all my friends know, if you come to me, I'm going to tell you what I think. I acknowledge it's still just what I think. And you can eat the gold and spit out the rocks, as my brother would say. Um, you know, eat the meat and spit out the bones. So so I'm not offended when people don't agree with me um, because I'm not the solution to everything. I, I'm, I'm comfortable. I'm clear on that and I'm comfortable with that. But I will share my perspective, if especially if I see that a person's actions or perspective affects somebody else negatively. Because one of the things you know, we're talking about here, obviously, is impact. On the other side of empowerment is, is impact. And the, there's an important um, distinguish, um, distinguisher between intent 
and impact. We know that microaggressions, you know, that people experience aren't, you know, they usually come from implicit bias. They come from unconscious bias. But the impact can be strong, can be very, very, very profound and small cuts become deep wounds. So in, you know, in, in, in that context, it's important for me to say something if I see something. So if in, in my professional environment, um, I try to make suggestions to people rather than trying to tell them what to do. People don't receive that very well. Um, you know, if you, if you try to tell people what to do, a lot of people, you know, they want to, they want to know, but they don't want to be taught. So you have to be, you know, use a little savvy and I have a psych degree. So, you know, I understand the psychology of communication and negotiation. And so I use, I use my skill sets in, in, in every um, interaction that I have, uh, even with my son, um, because people are in different stages and, and phases of a day or in their life uh, or in their, you know, levels of understanding or in their faith walk. So I try not to, I'm sure I don't get it right every time, but I try not to impose myself, but I try to offer something of value for people to think about. And that's in personally and professionally, I feel like that's my responsibility. It's not my responsibility to fix people. Those are great suggestions, you know, from the side of the personal side of what you can do. And you said do something. And then secondly, yes. how you address challenges with other people. I love the idea about not being condescending, but just making a suggestion. Yes. And you have to approach, you have to know the people that you approach and how to approach them. So yes. um, I think those are, are great suggestions. Thank you. So, Rebecca, I've really enjoyed our conversation today. And, you know, just to sum it all up, I want to know what you think about why is it important to reduce this crabs in the bucket syndrome so that our communities can achieve our fullest potential? So, okay, thank you, Ramona, for that. Um, first, let me say, I feel like we are, I think I've said it before, we are the most magnificent people on the face of the earth. We were kings and queens. We built uh, most of what people see. We were the first doctors and mathematicians. We have a history that supports what I'm about to say. Again, earlier I said, do something, do something positive, do something in service, do something uh, for, for other people. And I also feel like it's important when you decide what you will do, choose discerningly. There's nothing wrong with being discerning about who you engage, that's important as well, um, because what you're not trying to do is add crabs to the basket um, by, you know, embracing the wrong people. So you do want to, there is such a thing as that, and we want to be careful. But when you decide to sow seed, sow it generously. And, and don't worry about getting it back from that person, because I really do believe, I'm a, my life is an example of the law of retribution. If you sow sparingly, you will reap sparingly. But if you, you know, if you sow generously, you will receive generously. And for many of us, this is reaping season. So what I would really encourage people to do is to sow generously and don't worry about getting it back from that person because you will get good seed back. Um, and so that's something that we we have to stop, you know, worrying about is, you know, will we get it back or doing something in expectation of getting it back, um, it may it probably won't come from that person. Um, 
But one of the um, examples that I give a lot when we're talking about, um, you know, giving and, and not being jealous of one another and understanding where the trauma has impacted us as a people um, because of our history. One of the examples I give, give is the story of the Israelites, you know, leaving Egypt. It's like a couple of days worth of journey, like, you know, a few miles. And it, it would have taken them, you know, just a, a few days, but it took them 40 years because you can't move towards freedom with a slave mentality. Mm-hmm. And and so that's what we're fighting. And you may have heard me say that before. That is something that we are constantly fighting. So, you know, in order to reduce the number of crabs um, in the basket, don't be one yourself mm-hmm. and um, <laughs> understand that what what is intended for you, if, you know, if you're finding your purpose, if you're walking in your purpose, because you and I have talked about that, we wake up and we get our minds ready so that we can go into the day and live our purpose And there's nothing more powerful than that. My name, Rebecca, means the Hebrew spelling of my name, uh, which is what my parents gave me. It means peacemaker, which is what a mediator is. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So you tell me that that's not living a person's purpose, um, you know, having found. So I feel even through the challenges um, that I go through that I'm right where I'm supposed to be doing what I'm supposed to do. And I just, I think there's nothing more powerful than that. So, you know, in a, in a, in bullet points, I guess it would be do something for somebody else. Um, and, uh, so generously and live your purpose. So like you, uh, Rebecca, I am a big advocate for higher education and, always like to get from my guests uh, a strategy for college success. So could you tell me what schools did you attend? What were your majors and degrees? And what strategy would you give students to ensure that they're successful in college? Thank you for that question. Um, I have a bachelor's degree from the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign, and that's it. I don't have a master's degree. You know, I'm a law professor. I don't have a law degree, but I was able to to build um, my skill sets and I I share my gifts and God has blessed me. So those are those are my educational institutions. And of course, uh, well, that's I mean, that's it. Um, And uh, as far as continued education, of course, I have certifications in insurance um, and I am uh, a mediator and arbitrator. So I go through constant training for that uh, annually ethics training and um, and other training to make sure that uh, I understand, you know, I know what's cutting edge, what's coming, how, uh, what's going on in the world affects dispute resolution, disputes and dispute resolution. Um, and then uh, you also know, Ramona, that I'm the founder of, I'm the visionary founder of HBCU Impact. Impact stands for Insurance Mentoring Program Advanced Career Track. And that is a nonprofit. It's a 501c3 uh, committed to embracing students at historically black colleges and universities. Uh, we want to attract them, give them um, a level of certification, some credentialing, um, including licensing uh, for some students who are handpicked, um, and then get them into the insurance industry via internships and also employment opportunities. And we have over 25 partner sponsors that participate in the various programming that we've done. Our um, HBCU Impact Symposiums uh, ha- happened during the pandemic online, um, but we returned to in-person programming this year, and uh, we uh, were part of the uh, Risk Management Society uh, conference, which happened right here in Atlanta, 
and that is the largest risk management and insurance conference on the globe. Uh, so we were able to bring in 23 students from five different schools. That was our incubator. It's a day of immersion um, into the industry where we have our colleagues come in and talk to them about their different career um, trajectories and um, the, the different verticals um, in the industry that are available to them. Include you can What people don't know is you can um, major in anything and end up in the insurance industry. I was saying to you, I have a psychology degree um, and I just didn't really see that career coming, but it lasted 25 years and it equipped me for what I'm now doing. You develop um, transferable skill sets in the insurance and risk management industry. And some things, you know, I just didn't see coming uh, another career. I was able to reinvent myself as a mediator, arbitrator, and consultant. So um, that's the programming that we um, are proud to, to pr produce. And let me say, uh, well, I'll also mention the impact incubator. That is a licensing. It's a two week intensive. We get students licensed in either as an agent or in claims, uh, insurance claims, which is what I did, the investigator, evaluator, negotiator. Um, and all that we do, every program that we do for students is all expenses paid. Mm -hmm. So when we bring them in, we give them really unique experiences. We put them up in nice hotels. Um, that incubator took place at the Western Riverfront in Tampa. So after they did a week of self-study, the second week, which wasn't even a full week, is review. Um, we bring in instructors to help them review. They take the test and then they're in college and they have a license in the insurance industry ready to work when they come out. So. Um, yeah, so it, it's um, that's again my life's work making opportunities available um, because I I do really believe that I'm paying back a debt that I owe. That's great. Thank you so much. Thank you. So the recommendation is to consider HBCU Impact as you develop your professional career. It's a great opportunity to um, pursue a career in the insurance business. Thank you so much for joining us. A special thank you to the incredible team of the Empowerment Zone. Terry Gully, theme song, NADWorks, digital support, and of course, our featured guest.